podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the LFC Day Trippers. This show is called In My Life. It's going to be an audio show that we're going to bring to you during the summer um, while Liverpool are not playing football. Um, we will release it, of course, on all your podcast um, platforms. Um, I'm Gaff. I'm going to be the host of this. We're hoping to do between six and ten of these throughout the summer. And basically the idea of it is um, a guest comes on, gives me three of their greatest moments um, following Liverpool. It can be on field, off the field, a signing a player leaving, it can be wherever they want. It's their choice. I don't know what they are when we when we get into this, but um we I'll soon know and I'll have to walk off memory, which should be fun. Um if you're listening, um which if you are, like of course you are, you're listening, I'm you're hearing this. Um don't forget if you're on your podcast your podcast addict or your Spotify or your Apple pods, leave us a review. Leave us a five-star review. It helps us go up the ratings, apparently, on all these platforms. And also, when you're leaving the review, leave a little note at the end to tell us your favourite Liverpool moment. And what we will do at the end of this is we will get a couple of our guests back and talk about the people's reviews and their moments. We might talk over them as well. First guest out of the gate, Matt Gale, Hamilton or Ontario in Canada. Matt has been on a couple of shows in the last couple of weeks, um, i.e. the viewer's voice. They've been fantastic. He's done really well. I asked him, could he do this? And he said, yeah, no problem. I told him to pick three moments. I don't know what they are. And um, we go from there. So, Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Gav. I'm uh, honoured to be making a debut show. Yeah. Um, listen, we're going to try, we're going to have you and we're going to have hopefully another nine people to put this series together and as i said the reviews if people put reviews in apple and stuff like that we will find them and if they leave their nice little um favorite moments we might do a, a whole big program at the end of it. you've picked three moments um from supporting liverpool and i don't, as i said i don't know about them um but i will in a couple of minutes just before we get into it though What's your earliest memory following Liverpool? Because, you know, you're on the other side of the world. A lot of people picked up Liverpool in the early 2000s. Some are expats that follow Liverpool from the 70s. Um, where do you stand in this? Uh, I said on the viewer's voice on my first show that my uh, my introduction to Liverpool was the Istanbul final. Okay. Uh, I had a friend that was an AC Milan fan, so we were watching the game, and I got to watch his soul leave his body in the second half, and it was wonderful. So, uh, and then, yeah, everything else I learned about the team has just made me love it even more. But like, uh, most of my moments are from pretty recent history because it was it was hard watching in the late 2010s and the or the late 2000s and the early 2010s. Just the the coverage of the game in Canada is now is fantastic. We can watch all the games live. Mm-hmm wherever we want but back then you were at the mercy of the the one or two sports channels that would maybe show one game uh, on a Saturday or something like that so uh it's it's pretty recent so your memory shouldn't need to be worked out too hard yeah and just just on that before we get into the moments because you know 2005 is a huge night in Liverpool history all right and maybe that's one of your moments I don't know but you know I've heard of a lot of, of people that you know kind of into football, maybe from America, Canada, even South America, Australia, um, different parts of Europe, kind of into football, maybe watch a bit of English football, and then this happens. And when this happens in front of your own eyes as a neutral, it's kind of, well, um, let me know more about this team. 
and people really grab onto it. Do you think the technology thing has helped as well? Because, you know, uh, the zone is in, is in Canada. They're, I presume that's one of the, the channels that shows literally everything at the moment. And, you know, yep. 15, 16, 17 years ago, when you're trying to explain to people in Canada, you know, oh, Liverpool or watch this, watch that. Although you, right, you have the internet and stuff like that, but the coverages aren't there. Is it easier now to say to people, you need to go and watch this team? Even especially now because they're, they're brilliant. Is it easier for you to go, listen, they're brilliant and here's 45 websites where you can go and now watch um, highlights and the history and the great games and goals. Is it much easier to kind of influence people around you? Yes and no. I mean, yes, obviously, like there's so much content that you can get on the internet and it's fantastic, but no, because uh, up until this year, Dazn had exclusive rights Mm -hmm. for the Premier League and the Champions League in Canada. Mm -hmm. So if somebody doesn't have a subscription to it, you can't be like, hey, you should watch us. We're playing Man City this weekend. You know, there's a few people at work that have to listen to me talk about it incessantly because, you know, I'll come in after a weekend and I'll just be buzzing or absolutely abject and be like, what happened in the game? And it's like... Ah, uh, like shit. You guys need to watch it, but you know, a, a, a lot of people can't justify that. Yeah, it's like one hundred and fifty dollars Canadian mm. for the year, which is absolutely nothing because it also gives you all of the NFL games. So, yeah. like, I can watch all American football and all the Champions League. But apparently, it's changing for next year. But the games aren't on terrestrial TV. So when you're talking to people that only have TV and they're like, "Oh, is it on Sportsnet?" I'm like, "Well." The, they only have the FA Cup, so you might get the Liverpool FA Cup game sort of thing. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm probably too uh, too overeager to share that it's probably a bit too much for people that I talk to about it. Cause, uh, yeah, so you, you're turning people off by wandering into work on a Monday morning and going absolutely ballistic, either in a positive <laughs> or negative way, and people are going, he's fucking weird. Um, we're not yeah. watching Liverpool. Yeah, it's uh, it, it sounds maybe a little bit too crazy when I uh, come in with all the emotion of a full-on Liverpool fan, and you know, especially when you're making a push for a potential quadruple at the end of a season, and yeah. the yeah. people you're talking to, they don't even understand that there's more than one trophy that yeah. you can win. So all they're looking up is the last fixture of the season. So Matt will absolutely shut the fuck up um, for a couple of months. <laughs> I get it. There's loads of people like it. Um, into the moments, though. Now you can put them in. You don't have to put them in chronological order. You don't. You can go from whatever one you want. Pick it. Well, I, <laughs> Let's talk I got them in it. order from, from least important to most important. Whatever you want. Uh, all right. So number three, uh, I put it at number three because it's the most likely to be replaced immediately. And that was March 8th of this year, which was the second leg of Inter, which was so far my first and only time visiting Anfield. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the international fans will understand the importance of that. Uh, I hope that you know, people that live within an hour or so flight of Liverpool don't take it for granted. Just how 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 lucky you guys are that you can get a 25 euro flight and be in Liverpool mm. the morning of the game sort of thing. Like it, uh, it takes a lot more planning and money from halfway around the world to get over there. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a spectacular experience. I, yeah, I knew what I was getting into. You know, I wasn't going in blind. I, I know what an Anfield atmosphere is and. I was lucky enough I could have chosen uh, the West Ham League game on the Saturday beforehand, but I thought Inter Milan, European night, you know, we're into the knockouts. This is serious, you know, proper football. And uh, it lived up to all of my expectations surrounding the game. It's just amazing luck that I managed to pick pretty much our only home game where we didn't score a goal this year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I'm delighted you picked something like this. Um, I'm a bit surprised 
you know, but I completely understand it. As a man that's, I don't know, six, seven thousand miles away, I don't have many miles. I'm, I'm not, I don't have an atlas in the house, um, or, or a globe, um, or a ruler for that matter. Um, but like you said, the planning that goes into it, you know, the flights, the, the, even the duration of the flights on, alone, and um, the cost, um, it's e- like you said, it's easy for us. I'm in Dublin. I literally go into Dublin Airport, walk through. Now at the moment, it's horrendous trying to get through Dublin <laughs> yeah. Airport, but. You know, all things being equal, I walk through, I have a couple of drinks, I get on a plane, the seatbelt light never comes off. And before you you look, I've, I've told you this story. When you take off from Dublin Airport and you, if you're at a window seat and you look back, you see Dublin. And once Dublin disappears out of your oil line and you're torn, you can see Liverpool, you can see Wales and you can see the coastline running up to Liverpool. And like, my wife is always surprised that I'll take off in Dublin at half past seven. And at half past eight, I'm in Liverpool City Centre, like halfway through breakfast and sending her a text. You know, and I'm delighted you picked this because I think it's great to hear. Not only that you're travelling from all over the world, but but it, it lived up to your expectations. You know, tell me about the day. Like, do you arrive in Liverpool the day of the game? Do you, do you, do you go sightseeing? Do you, do you just go on the drink? What do you do? Explain to me what it's uh, like to travel that distance and watch Liverpool. All right, so I got on a city bus in Hamilton. I left my house at 1 p.m. on Monday. Uh-huh. So it was a bus to the bus station, then a bus station to the uh, airport in Toronto, which is an hour and a half. And then, oh, what's the flight? About six hours from Toronto to Dublin. Yeah. Uh, and then it was a quick turnaround. It was Dublin into Manchester, and then the train from Manchester into Liverpool. So I was lucky enough that I flew overnight, so uh, I can sleep on an airplane, no problem. So I slept pretty much the entire time over the Atlantic, so I got a little bit of sleep. So I landed, uh, yeah, I got into Liverpool at about yeah, 11, 12 o'clock, morning of the game. Mm-hmm. I went and I checked into my hotel. I had a quick nap, and then I uh, I had hospitality tickets because that's the only way that I could get a ticket. So. Mm-hmm. I was out to Aintree Racecourse for my hospitality package, so yeah. uh, I learned just how far away that is from Liverpool City Centre, sitting, <laughs> yeah. sitting on a bus and just going and going and going. So, uh, yeah, I went in, I got my uh, free drinks, and I got my three-course meal, and I got my souvenirs, and Mark Wright came around the table. He was our handshaking, you know, former uh, player on the team, and, you know, and just kind of looked around and went, all right, the, the transport from the racetrack doesn't leave for the stadium for another hour and a half. And I said, fuck that. And I went outside. I got in an Uber. I was going to walk. And I looked at the distance on my phone. and was like, holy shit, this stadium is so far away from this racetrack. So, yeah, I hopped in an Uber. And I had a, a delightful blue, actually, given the state that Everton were in at the moment. Uh, he was happy to hear that I was in town for the game and took me past Goodison Park, which, we that's... In comparison, like, I, I'm glad I saw it before I saw Anfield because I, I didn't just instinctually say something bad about it because, you know, it's still, it's still a famous ground. And, like, hey, that's Goodison. Like, wow, yeah, okay, yeah. It's, it's not that dumpy. And then, you yeah, you pull around the corner and he drops me off, you know, behind the cop. And it's like, holy shit, what a difference. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of got a lay of the land. I figured out where I needed to get in for my gate, which, you know, there's construction on the Annie Road. So I was in the lower Annie Road for my ticket, which was fantastic, about, you know, 150 feet away from the Inter fans who were fantastic all night. But, yeah, I uh, I was just into the Telegram chat about two, three weeks before I made the trip over. And 
just threw out that if anybody was going to be in Liverpool for the game, that meet up for a drink. And sure enough, uh, Emmett Cavanaugh was uh, going to the game with his brother-in-law. So I uh, met up with them at Hotel Tia or Hotel Anfield, whatever it's called. Hotel and, Tia, yeah. yeah had a, had a, now, yeah. Uh, okay, can't keep up. Uh, yeah, had a couple of drinks there with them. Uh, you know, got to meet just a random Irish dude from a Telegram group chat that I have with a bunch of Liverpool fans, which is pretty random. And finding out how freaking tall he is and looks like Ralph Hasenhutl. So, uh, then yeah, went went to the game. Like it was fantastic. I think Laura Martinez's ball might have hit me in the face if uh, if there wasn't a net on the back of the goal. Like it was it was a beautiful strike to see. Um, but like the the biggest thing for me in terms of just the game that I was at, because again, didn't get that eruption of us scoring or anything like that, was Virgil van Dijk is so good. He is. Like, he? He's so – it was one of the things that I was really looking forward to being able to see because I knew for at least 45 minutes he was going to be at our end. Yeah. You know, they'll be defending the Annie Road end at some point and just like keep your eyes on him and just watch him and just like the constant – like he always has his head on a swivel. He's always looking and paying attention and telling everybody where they need to go and like, you know, coaching out from the back sort of thing. And it was, it's the sort of thing you can't really get a feel for when you only watch games on TV. That's one of those things where they say you got to be in the ground. So like, that was my biggest takeaway from it was just like, he is, he is a special breed of footballer and uh, you know, we're dead lucky to have him. Listen, I, I couldn't agree more with you on the, on the Verge of Andoy thing. When you watch him on TV, he's excellent. When you watch him in person, he's colossal. He's he, he glides across the ground. He eats the ground yeah. up when he needs to. Um, I remember him like home to Brighton this season and our last season, as we will call it now. And ball being played towards him, or striker running off him, and he just literally just heads the ball over the guy, goes to the side and takes it down, and just passes it and. And you think, like, even on TV, you get those angles where you go, oh, this guy could be in. And when you're in the ground, you're like, there's no way he's in. Because, like, like the, the angle is deceiving you here. This guy is, like, five yards ahead of everything that's happening. Um, he's a, he's very big. He's very, very vocal. He never stops pointing. He never stops telling people what to do. And it's funny because, you know, it, when you, Jordan Henderson does that a lot. And people would say, yeah. oh, he just points and he just shouts. And Virgil does exactly the same thing. And it's all about standards. And it's all about, you know, even the smallest thing. You'll see them going, like, like you'll see stuff like a right winger will get a ball. And he might shift it a bit and get a cross in. Nothing too dangerous. Might get cut out with the front post by Van Dyke, who clears it out into the main stand. And there's nothing wrong. But he'll just give a look to Andy Robertson as if to say, what are you doing? That's not meant to. Ha- that's not supposed to happen. I shouldn't have to be clearing this, and that's the standard he keeps up. Um, I was delighted when you said you you, you met Emma. He's a lovely guy. The first time I ever met Emma was in a, in an airport coming back from Liverpool. Um, so that's how we all seem to meet now, just randomly in, in travel destinations. But um, I know Liverpool don't win the game, but to, it's your first time at Anfield, and I think for anyone's first time at Anfield, you want to win the game, you want to score goals or whatever, but. There's something primal about it. You know, like you see videos nowadays of kids walking up steps and looking in. in I've seen a, a lovely one of a, a kid walking up into Goodison for the first time. Complete shock on his face, you know, because the grass looks so green and, and the stands look so vast. And, you know, and it's the same at Anfield. And, and I don't, it doesn't matter whether you're 
five years old, 10 years old or 40 years old. If you're walking up the steps in the cop or the Anfield Road or, or the Kenny or the main and you walk up and it, this thing just, just appears in front of you. And it, it's not a massive stadium for me when you walk in. You actually walk, for me, you walk in and go, that pitch doesn't look as big as it does on TV. And the stands do look big, but they don't look as big as they do on TV. But there's something about it. It's just like, as soon as the game is about to start, the whole place is just encapsulated in this kind of bubble. And the bubble just seems to squeeze down from the sky on top of these 22 players playing with this absolutely crazy crowd around them. And, and I always laugh at people saying, oh, the, the atmosphere in Anfield is not great. I've never been around where the Anfield's um, not good. Never. Um, it's yeah, it's, really good. I, saw, I saw a few uh, comments on Reddit after the game. They're like, oh, you know, the atmosphere was really quiet and like the Inter fans were really loud. And it was like, well, the Inter fans were definitely loud. They had something to cheer about, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, they, they probably didn't have huge, you know, expectations to get anything out of that game. So for them to just win the match, even though they lost the tie, they went home happy. Like, you know, seeing few Italians around after the game, walking back to the city center or the next morning sort of thing. I was happy that they weren't pissed off Italians because, you know, pissed off traveling Italians can cause some damage, as Liverpool yeah. fans know probably better than most sort of thing. So, like... Out of all the games to lose, it was fine. But what you're saying about the pitch, uh, like coming from Canada, pretty much most of the sporting events I go to, at least the outdoor ones, are Canadian football. And, you know, it, like like in American football, you've got huge wide sidelines. You've got the end zones that are in Canadian football. They're 25 yards deep, the end zones, not 10. So this, like, the crowd is really far away from the pitch, like from the field, actually. And like, yeah, you see it on TV and you know that it's, you know, there's the touchline, there's a little bit of grass, there's that slippy bit, advertising hoardings, and the fans are right there. But it's like, holy shit. It, and so because I had, you know, pretty decent seat, you know, 25 rows up or something like that, like, you know, the sound's coming from everywhere and the Inter fans are right beside us and they're singing every time, you know, sort of thing. Like, yeah, it was, it, it did not, it did not disappoint me. Like, you know, maybe they were singing, what is this, a library, but in Italian, and I didn't quite understand it. But, like, it's like, uh, yeah. like I, I was really impressed by it. Like, as I think, you know, the crowd knew the situation we were in. It was only one nothing, And then uh, Alexis Sanchez takes the red card. And from there, we really just kind of took the sting out of the game. And it didn't ever really feel like the tie was in balance. So, I don't know. Everybody seemed up for it. And, you know, it wasn't a jittery on edge sort of affair or anything like that. But... Did you, Still would have been nice for one goal. Yeah, did you get to see much of Liverpool, see Liverpool itself, the city after the game or the following morning or anything like that? What was it? Uh, the the following morning, I went out, had my first ever full English breakfast, which is a fantastic invention. Yeah, uh, very very good. And then I went. Where and did, did you my have stadiums. it? Oh, shit, I can't even remember. Uh, it wasn't at Shiraz because as I was finishing my breakfast. Uh, I got a message from Emmett and he's like, Hey, we're just having the full English at Shiraz. And it was like, I walked by it and went, what are the odds that this middle Eastern place has a proper English breakfast? Like, nah, that's no Fantastic good. Fantastic it is. I find, yeah. Then I find out that that's the place to go. So, uh, that's all right. There's, there's going to be a next time. Uh, but yeah, I went, I did the stadium tour, uh, you know, I was by myself, so I was able to take my sweet time and go through and really read everything, you know, the sort of thing that maybe, you know, if you're there with, like, if I was there with my wife or you, know, you had young kids or something like that, you're not going to stop and read yeah. every little thing. But I, I was there to soak it all up. And like, that was just, that was fantastic. Yeah. Like absolutely. getting the amount of access that they give you on the stadium tour was great. Uh, we had just won the league cup, so it was there for me to get my picture taken with. So that was nice. And 
yeah, it's every everything about it was just fantastic. And like seeing the construction work that they're doing on it and seeing those little update videos that they put out sort of like, you know, an extra whatever it's going to be five, six, seven thousand. Seven thousand. Yep. Yeah. Like it just keeps bumping it up that little bit more. And like, yeah, it's I'm not entirely sure what they're going to put on the top of Goodison because they're just about blocking it out. Uh <clears throat> they're not putting they're trying to move as far away from Anfield as they can oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're going underwater right. so they don't have to look at Anfield from where they're playing um, but that should be fun as well mm-hmm. plans to go back I'm sure there's plans to go back they're in the are they in the works at the moment uh, f- flight, flights are booked from Toronto to Dublin for August this year it's a delayed honeymoon for my wife and I so just waiting for the fixture, fixture schedule to come out and crossing our fingers that we're there for one weekend so just hoping that it's a home game weekend and then uh, you got to get on buying tickets and yeah. buying those cheap, cheap flights over from Dublin to Liverpool to catch a game because, yeah, the you'll need the you'll need, was, to be, you'll need to be quick with them because as soon as it's announced, Ryanair are really, really quick at sorting it out. But you could probably do Manchester like you've done before. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's, I look, yeah, Aer Lingus is pretty cheap to fly to Manchester. Too, yeah, so. exactly. Um, look, I, I think that's a great way to start the show. And, you know, for people out there that... Have only been downfield once or, or live further afield, you know, like, like, like Matt does. Um, I think he's done it justice in what's in the city. Um, the fans, the, the ground, the atmosphere. And, you know, he's already booking to go back in August. So that's absolutely cool. And, and I suppose when August comes about, he's flying into Dublin. Um, if he ends up meeting a couple of us in Dublin, he mightn't even make it to Liverpool. And I really, really hope his wife is not like his workmates who's, and she's like, what is going on here while he's in Liverpool for the weekend? And he's, he's having the time of his life while she's literally going, what are we doing here? Um, we really hope it's not the case. Watch our second That's moment. A perfect, that was a perfect segue to my second moment. Uh, my second moment happened on January the 23rd of 2016, a pretty famous game. Norwich 4, Liverpool 5. Okay, great uh, So this is about a year after, uh, she wasn't even my wife yet, uh, after we had gotten together and she was having to put up with me being a diehard Liverpool fan and never missing a game. And she wasn't, you know, she's not a soccer fan at all, doesn't really have a team, knew that she needed to support Liverpool to, you know, for the harmony of the household. But she <laughs> was definitely there with me uh, watching that game. And when Adam Lallana scored in the fifth minute of injury time and broke Klopp's glasses and the whole thing went nuts, she she got that bug. So I've uh, I've managed to turn her into a fan. So we're both going to be going to a game because she was jealous that I just zipped off to go see a game by myself. So now uh, now I got to take her, and we're both going to go to the game in August uh, if we're lucky enough to get tickets for it. So and that's that's kind of the impetus for that because uh, it makes it a lot easier to justify. Being like, it's three o'clock, you know, I know you're teaching from home because of COVID, but like, you need to tell those kids to be quiet because it's three o'clock and the game's on. I know school goes <laughs> until 3.30, but, but so she gets it now. So she what, what is it? What is it? Silent time in the classroom for 30 minutes? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you say art period for the last half hour of the day. So that <laughs> Okay. Meditation. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing medication to Canadian schools near you. Um, I really yeah. like it. Just on the game though. Um. You know, I'm trying to remember the goal scorers. I think Firmino opens the scoring. I think we go 3-1 yes. down. Um, we I think, do. I think Henderson makes a 3-2. I think Milner equalises. No, Bobby equalises. No, Bobby equalises with a little clip over the keeper. Milner makes a 4-3. Um, they equalise their centre-half. 
Bassong scores Bassong in the 90 plus scores. two. Yes. Yeah, and then we have the guy on loan from QPR up front trying to head balls. Calker. Uh, Calker, yeah. who was a centre back, and then Lalana scores a goal. The, like, that's the 23rd of January 2016. Yeah. And I think Klopp takes over in the October. And yeah. we see the stuff around West Brom when we draw and he goes to the cop. And I'm, I think that might be before this happens at Norwich. Do you think this is the real birth of the cop team, though? Because I get a feeling it's a, ma- a massive moment in what Klopp's trying to do because it's crazy. He gets to see the madness of what Liverpool can bring. It's not Klopp only bringing it. Liverpool are madness, uh, like for as long as I can remember. He gets to see the good. He gets to see the bad. And then the finish, and his glasses are going off, and there's players all over him. Do you think that's a massive moment in his in his early Liverpool career? Yeah, for me, it it kind of serves as like a last signpost of the first years of Klopp, sort of. Like, even though it persisted longer than that, but you know, like the Gagan pressing when he first came in, and like the role that Lalana played, where he was just this terrier in the midfield and he was running around everywhere, but. He obviously either hadn't fully formulated what is our current game plan or the players weren't, you know, quick enough to pick it up or they hadn't had enough time to drill the system down to it. Like when you watch us play now and like that was the beauty of this season of being able to swap out midfielders and the way the team functions didn't change at all. Like you can tell that they're all so well drilled in how we press as a unit from the front. Whereas back then it still had some some of that like harem scarum Liverpool that was, you know, in the early twenty tens, you know, under under Rogers where it seemed like we could score as many goals as we wanted, but anytime the ball got close to Skirtle and Mignolet, it was terrifying. You know, a ball would go out for a throw in and you'd be sitting there watching a game in twenty thirteen being like this is or twenty twelve, and like this is gonna be a goal somehow. It's a throw in from the halfway line, but somehow they're gonna score from this because you know, Mignolet kicked the ball straight out of play for no reason or, you know, somebody in the defense just put it out for an unnecessary corner. And Liverpool under Klopp still had a little bit of that, you know, kind of through probably maybe until the end of that season, like with the with the Europa League final. And then after that, we we seem to get more controlled every year. Like the players are more drilled into it. And you, know, you look at the, the 11 that was in the Champions League final and a lot of them were playing in the Champions League final in Kiev. So they've been with this system for three, four years, and they're all exceptionally bright and talented footballers. So like this game, when I think about those early Klopp years where, yeah, it didn't seem like he cared too much about defense, that he was just going to come out and run and gun and try to outscore the other teams. Like this game stands out so much. And, you know, it was only three months before the Dortmund 4-3 game at Anfield, which is you know, an, an incredible moment. That was, uh, as a side note, that was the last game that I didn't watch live. Uh, it goes with turning my wife into a fan. I uh, I watched this go behind and then we had to go and do family things. I was like, I really want to finish watching this game. It's like, they're probably going to lose. I'm like, yeah, okay, you're, you're, you're probably right. And then you check 45 minutes later and it was like, I can't believe I stopped watching this game. Like we came back and we like, I'm never missing another game. This is, this is ridiculous. Did you throw like, a tantrum? I did, I, and I carried that tantrum on for about two years afterwards. Uh, but so now, any, but any now time, I gotta any, let it go. so would, would it be right in saying that any time a family a family gathering comes up and it clashes with a Liverpool game, you point right back to the Dortmund game? Like it's your only piece of evidence that you need, and the prosecution rests as soon as you say Borussia Dortmund. Exactly, this glove fits perfectly. The defense rests. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> nice um, OJ reference there, to be perfectly honest with you. That's all I could think about there. Um, but but the game itself, you know, I, I, I want to I say it was an early game. Like an early Saturday game, it felt like. But I could be wrong. Um, it just feels to me like it was sunny. an early game. Like when you when you watch the highlights, like it's uh, it looks like a real a real like midday sun when Firmino's opening the opening the scoring. I could be wrong. Yeah. This could have been at five o'clock in the afternoon. I I highly doubt it. it's January. Um, it was bright for the whole game. So I'm going to say it was like a half twelve kickoff in Norwich, and in the days running up to it. Liverpool fans quite rightly would have been saying, why are we playing away to Norwich at half 12 on a Saturday? Because that's usually yeah. how the Premier League work. But, you know, I, I watched, I watched it at home and like most last minute things Liverpool do, I just literally am standing in the living room watching the game. I'm not sitting, I'm standing in the middle of the living room, right in the middle of it, not at my chair, not at the TV, like right in the middle of the room, like nobody can get past. You know, nobody can do anything in the room without disrupting me, and that's not allowed. I'm a bit like you with that. But I, I remember this game because it was just, it was like 1 0, great. 3 1 down, like, isn't it Naismith is scoring and all? He's like, he's, he's turned yeah, into Pele. Yeah, he's turned into Pele. Your man's back yeah. and into the goal, isn't he? And the, the yeah. Norwich guy. And I'm like, how are we 3 1 down? I remember Henderson scoring, and then Firmino scores and you're like wow and then we go ahead and you're like brilliant then they equalize and you're like fucking this is like this is just so on script that bass song scores a, a brilliant volley from 25 yards and then the last goal goes in and i don't even remember any noise coming out of me i remember just falling backwards you know and, and landing on on, on the sofa uh, were you similar uh yeah it's 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 in those last minute moments like you know origi's header against everton and uh, Allison's header last year against West Brom, where it looks like, you know, it's, uh, what is it? It's always darkest before the dawn, you know? Yeah. You know, Bassong scores probably his only Premier League goal in the second minute of injury time, and you're like, fuck, that, that's it. We've managed to throw away points against Norwich, who I'm sure were bottom of the league at the time. Oh, there's no doubt they were relegated. The Norwich don't do staying up in the Premier League. Exactly. It, up, down, up, down. Mm. Uh yeah, and say it was, and because you know you still had that. Klopp hadn't been here long enough. You know, he said he's turning doubters to believers. I was probably still a doubter a bit at this point. You know, hadn't didn't watch a ton of Mainz and Borussia Dortmund games, sort of thing. You, you knew who he was, but not until he's actually in control of your club do you really get a feel for who he's going to be. And like being like that's it's the same as because how we used to just throw games away just silly and just lose points and just not have the medal or you know the winning mentality to get over the line and then all of a sudden oh shit Lalana scores and it changes everything and then instead of it being all down and dour about the whole thing it's it's pandemonium and you can laugh about the fact that you know Bassong scored because in the end it didn't really matter so it's on the Lalana goal though you know he it's bouncing around everywhere. People are heading it when they should be kicking it and vice versa. It was it was crazy. And it falls from he mishits it into the ground, it bounces, it goes up over the key. I don't know even who's in goal for, for Norwich. Ruddy, uh, I think maybe. Maybe Ruddy, yeah. Um goes into the top corner. And you know, you watch it so many times and they show us so many angles and you see Klopp's face when it goes in and how he's running down the sideline and, and you can actually see him revving that arm up as he's running because he, he really wants and then he tries to stop himself but the players are too close it's you've gone too far Jorgen and everyone's in but I love watching it back and you watch different reactions like the Norwich fans right behind the ball as it hits the net 
and you can just see the whole body slump like oh for fuck's sake you know you you see you see the, the liverpool bench you when they show from the from the wide angle you see players like 50 yards away from it, and they're like it goes in and, and you can see norwich players like on their knees and you can see liverpool players going absolutely mental and and that's why I asked you at the start, did you think it was a big moment? Because I think there was so much joy in it and Klopp brought so much of that with just his reaction. But I think it also, it, it actually taught Jürgen Klopp an awful lot, I think, about his team and where he, who he could rely on, who he couldn't, who he could trust to go on the pitch, who would perform, um, who would probably a long term. Because um, I, I, I do think big games like that tell you a lot about players and what managers think of players. You know, and it's a brilliant pick. I have to say it's a brilliant pick because it kind of gets lost that Norwich 5-4 game. But it's probably one of the first really berserk times at Liverpool. But the one before that was probably, I think, City away, where we go to City and just blitz them 4-1. Yeah, 13-14. Uh, yeah, no, no, in that same season. Oh, in um, that season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, Emery Chan is doing back heels to Coutinho in the box and... Skirtless lashing in volleys when they drop down from a Benteke flick and all sorts of messing going on. But I think the Norwich one gets lost a bit until you actually see the highlights of it and you go, oh, well, do you remember that? That was great. So I really enjoyed that pick because it's not an obvious one, um, even though it's an amazing game, but it's not an obvious one. What comes in at number one? Uh, this might be a popular pick uh, in terms of the people that come after me on this show, but May 7th, 2019. Okay. Barcelona, Liverpool, second leg. Uh, it was. I watched it by myself. So this game kicked off for me at the time I was living in Regina, Saskatchewan, in the middle of the country. So it's two hours even further earlier. So a kickoff for a Champions League is 1 p.m. Okay. So I went out and I busted my ass delivering the mail. I got everything delivered. Got home early enough. I had my mini keg of Heineken there. I had a joint to soothe the nerves. I just bought a brand new TV the week before. And it was ready to go because, like, maybe I'm, you know, what is it, the, the Berenstein Bears effect, or I'm misremembering my own history. But I wasn't down about that game going into it because I thought we played so good in Barcelona in, in the, the first leg. Yeah. And we're we were tragically unlucky in that game. Yeah. You know, Ginny Wijnaldum playing as the number nine and everybody afterwards being like, oh, Wijnaldum playing the nine. And I was like, I thought he played really good in the nine, actually. Yeah. Like, it was, I never, it just... was never it was never, a 3 nil game. No. And yeah. in, in all reality, it probably should have been 4 nil. But, you know, Dembele just absolutely fluffs his lines at the end and leaves the door open. But, like, it was – so it was dark. I'm by myself, you know, and I – drinking as quickly as I possibly can just because I figured this is the last Champions League game of the year. Like, this is it. This is as far as we get. We got to the final last year and lost. We're going to lose in the semifinal this year. But, you know, you start justifying it. And it's like, and then that first goal goes in. And as soon as the first goal goes in, it's just like immediately perking up and being like, nah, 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 nah. There's something here. And well, was, like, was part of your easy going in this, the fact that, Salah doesn't play. He gets concussed against Newcastle um, three or four days. Firmino's out too. Firmino's out too. So you end up with a front three of Shakiri, Mane, Origi. And as part of your, you know, being at ease with all this is the fact that, well, look, we might, we might go out, but look who we're missing. So, you know, it's okay. It's it's kind of a, a comfort blanket. Yeah, it, it, it came with built-in excuses. Like, we lost in the first leg even though we were better, but Lionel Messi scores 
an unbelievable free kick. Yeah. You know, the ball takes a lucky bounce and it deflects right to him and he puts it in like, okay, these are things that, you know, you can kind of live with. And then, yeah, going into the second leg of like, well, you know, we're down three, nothing, but it's messy. We're missing our two best players. What will be, will be. And then, yeah, like when the first goal goes in, because you you start with Shakiri, who really didn't have a humongous impact, but, you know, was big in the burst that he came in for. I mean, he'll always be remembered just simply for providing an assist and playing in this one game. Will be enough for Jordan Shakiri's name to be remembered by Liverpool fans for a long, long time. But you don't look at that team and go, okay, we're going to do something. And then to get that first goal real quick and the way that we came out after them and like the, the team, whether it was just internally, they got it done or, you know, Millie and Henderson uh, had to be there firing them up or Klopp had some rousing Al Pacino, any given Sunday style pregame speech that he gave to him. But it seemed like they came out like on the attack because we needed to score. And when that first goal goes in and then the crowd just went up that extra level and stayed at like a consistent 9.5 out of 10 for the rest of the game when they weren't going absolutely mental. Uh, yeah, it just, and even now we like, you know, try to make a habit of going back every at least six months or so and just watching the game again, because it's glorious. Why wouldn't you? Uh, of Like we were really good that day. You know, you how brave, see, how brave were we? Because you've met, we both mentioned the players that, that are missing. We're 3-0 down. We have no margin for error. None. You know, Barcelona's official Twitter account are saying if we score one, they have to score five. And they're basically spelling it out that if we score one, this is over. You know, how brave were Liverpool? Because, you know, I'm going into that game and I'm saying to myself, stay in it. If you can get one goal on 60, right, and you can get one goal on 85, you would absolutely take that. And give yourself... A possible probably nine minutes, including injury time, to have a right go, throw everything at it. You might concede it to the end, but who gives a shit? You're going for it in the last 10 minutes. And to do that, it's usually be cagey. Don't let them get any space. Keep it nice and, you know, attack by all means, but you have to make sure you have an insurance policy all the time. Liverpool didn't. Liverpool went out and absolutely went for Barcelona's throat from minute one. And even, even that first half, we get an early goal in that first half, and we have a couple of strikes, I think. If I remember right, Robertson has won. Um, yep. There's a couple of strikes, but Barcelona have chances. Like Liverpool are, leave, are leaving themselves. Like with chance, Messi hits one from the edge of the nearly the edge of the six yard box. Allison touches over. He plays one for Jordi Alba that Allison comes out to. Um, he hits one just wide. Messi Coutinho has that chance where he tries to go across Allison. So it's not like we blitzed them and he couldn't get out. We just went for them and went. Listen. What would be, what would be. It's, it's very, very brave from what Liverpool done. First half, particularly. Yeah. It's, I can, do you remember who partnered Van Dyke in that game? Because I was just Matt. thinking, if you think about... Well, there you go. Look at look at our back line. Allison, Matt Tip and Virgil, Trent and Robertson. Mm. Yeah. Klopp knew, and like I believe that season we had just a dynamite defensive record in the league as well, too. Like We had, we had shown that we know how to play defense, so it really allowed him to free the guys at the front up and especially, you know, having to utilize Shakiri uh, when he probably wasn't seeing very many minutes at, you know, at that end of the season when we're pushing for the league and champions league at the same time. Uh, I think it was just kind of a never like a ne'er say die attitude of just, you know, you may as well go out and get at it. The defense is going to be the defense, you know, Matip and Virgil were both 
in very good form that season. And then it's like the one for uh, the ball played in for Jordi Alba. Like that's the Allison that we saw all season this year. Yeah. You know, anticipating coming out, getting big, getting a tiny deflection on it and, and completely nullifying the situation and having it be something where you'd look at it and go, well, look who's bearing down on your net. They're probably going to score. And then all of a sudden this gigantic, beautiful goalkeeper just comes leaping out of the net. So I think that probably has a lot to do with it was that, you know, Klopp and the team know that they can trust our defense because, you know, we've got the best center back in the world. So, you know, if you can't do it with Virgil van Dijk in your team, when are you going to be able to throw <laughs> caution to the wind? And Yeah, it's, you know, I even think back to now, the kind of hairs on my arms and neck are kind of standing up when you think about it, when you're starting to reel through the memories of it. <clears throat> and for as brave as they are in the first half, the second half, Barcelona's heads go completely, yeah. completely, because even when we're one nil up, I keep the, it's always in your mind if they score one. But and I could be completely wrong here, but my memory of the second half is that Barcelona are just gone, heads are gone. You know, they come out for the start of that second half, they they crowd up the ante again, and you know it, it probably goes down as one of the best crowds you've ever seen at Anfield. I think possibly Chelsea in two thousand and five would rival it because that was insane. Um but you see you see Liverpool and and you know they get that second goal and you can see Ter Stegen trying to hold onto the ball when Alden is trying to get it back off and Ter Stegen's throwing himself around in the net. You know, they, they they're going and looking at for video evidence. Could it be a possible red card against Wijnaldum at the time? And as soon as that second goal goes in there's great celebrations. That's all. It's it's all wonderful. It's an angry Gino and Aldum who, after the game, says he wasn't happy about not starting, which was brilliant by Klopp. Send them on angry, yeah. fucking brie, great. And you have to remember, we've lost Robertson. Milner's had to go left back. But the big thing for me and all that, Matt, was they start panning that onto Barcelona players, and you see Coutinho's gone. You see Messi is looking around, going, "What is going on here?" But the big Suarez. one. For me, Suarez was the big one. Suarez was the one where you could see it in his face where he knew what was happening. He knew what Anfield will do to you. And he knew he was in this vacuum that they were just not going to be able to pull themselves out of. There was nearly a look of resignation to a point on Suarez, but absolute anguish. Because he it wasn't like he could rally his players and go, right, come on, you know, let, let's... It wasn't. He was torn away from his players. He was shouting up at the sky. He knew what was happening. And then they tip off. And when they tip off, they try to play a ball in to, into midfield. Um, Van Dijk gets a touch and a massive raw goes up around Anfield and they're off again. And yeah. 20 seconds later, the ball's in the net when Alden's made a three and it's over for Barcelona. It's all, Barcelona, I think after the third goal, are hoping that the fourth goal comes as early as possible to give them a chance, to give them more time to try to get back into this game. They just went. They went completely mad. It was like you could, you were seeing people physically and mentally break down right in front of your eyes. And it's it's strange too, especially when you think about losing Robertson and having to put Milner at left back. Of like that should have been the rallying cry for Barcelona when they learned of that change. It should have been like we're going to put Messi against James Milner and funnel him the ball because he's got to be able to get past Milner a couple of times. But it didn't seem like it seemed to almost have the opposite effect of Milner uh, shifting from the midfield to left back and the energy that he brought up and down there rivaled what you would have gotten from Robertson. And 
like it just it didn't make sense that they were so frail and like you see the documentary footage of them after the game in the dressing room I mean it's amazing schadenfreude to be able to get a chuckle at them but it's it, it has to have been some sort of just entitlement that they felt that you know that if we score one they need five attitude of like coming in with that attitude instead of you know this is a team that was in the Champions League final last year we're the team that has a recent history of choking massively in the Champions League. Like it seemed like they got a little too big for their britches and kind of just thought we're Barcelona. If we show up, we're definitely going to score and we don't have to worry about it too much. And, but the, it's the Suarez one is just the, the shots of him when he's kind of looking around with this kind of open mouth stare that he does a little bit. And you, you nailed it bang on of like, he knew exactly what was happening that that crowd, like unless they scored immediately after we got our second, that that crowd was just going to be like a tidal wave and it was just going to rush over that entire ground and it was going to push them onto the back foot and just force our guys like you know the the cliche of the, the of the cops sucking a goal in was effectively what was happening there and he knew it and it's it's just so brilliant like the the time between the when Aldum's first and second is what 5 or 6 minutes something like that I think it ends up at around I think it might be less than that. I think it's about three minutes. But the thing is, most of that three minutes is Liverpool celebrating the goal yeah. and them getting back to the halfway line and tipping it off. Because literally, Barcelona tip off, play it back. It comes in. They try play a ball in into midfield. Virgil stands in, gets it. Right? It falls to Fabinho, who plays it behind um, the defence for Origi, who kind of Cruyff turns and crosses it. Goes too far. Shakiri plays it to Milner. Milner back to Shakiri into the box when Aldum. So it's probably... A minute and a half's football. Not even a yeah. minute and a half's football. It's probably 50, 60 seconds of football. But it probably goes down as three minutes, I think, after the first goal, simply because the goal, ball going in the net and everyone getting back into position and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have to, there's a couple of things I want to talk about um, before we finish up on this one. Um, corner taken quickly. Huh. Right? A, it's, it's so, so good. The ingenuity is unbelievable. Do you think? Do you think they have a word with each other at some stage and say, "Watch out for this in this half"? Now it comes out afterwards that they had noticed that Barcelona switched off at corners, but Trent and Origi in particular, because I think there's enough evidence there for Trent to be looking at him and him to look back and him to go for it. Do you think this? What's your take on it? You can go anywhere you want on it. I, I don't know. I, that's That sounds like the sort of thing that we'll learn when uh, Origi eventually writes his biography after he retires, and I'll happily buy a copy to read that. Um, it's it, it might have something to do with that Origi-ness about Divock, where, like, yeah, Barcelona obviously turned off at that corner, and that's, I mean, it's unforgivable. It's like not playing until the whistle sort of thing. Like, it's just a mistake that professionals aren't supposed to make, let alone 11 professionals aren't supposed to make that mistake. Uh but just the way that Divock can just kind of walk around on the pitch and he looks like a steward that put a jersey on instead of a reflective vest sort of thing sometimes. Like, did they not notice him? Because it's just Divock being Divock and then all of a sudden Divock does that other Divock thing and just turns up for the exact right moment. But, like, the credit the credit has to go to Trent. Like, it's the way he feigns his body movement and, you know, makes it look like he's taking that exaggerated run up and then just switches it on and quickly fires the ball. And it's, yeah, it's brilliant. So yeah, I don't know. Like I, I don't know enough about the, 
strategy at a high level. Like they don't use hand signals or anything like that. You no. know, it's not like a baseball they, back catcher. They, they don't, but maybe it's a romantic in me, right? But when the ball goes out, okay, the ball is kicked off the pitch. A couple of ball comes onto the pitch. It's kicked off the pitch. Guy gives Trent the ball. Trent's looking down. But if you watch Origi, as Origi's walking, he's kind of walking away from goal. And he kind of turns, without looking at Trent, he kind of look, looks over in that direction without looking directly at Trent, as if, like, give me the ball. And I think, in my mind, Trent has already told a couple of days, watch for it. Because if I see a chance, I'm going to go for it. And I think Origi's little look makes Trent's mind up that, oh, he's on this as well. You know, Origi's spot at that moment as well. Because you have to remember, Origi's kind of walking away from, from where Trent is, he just has a little glance, all right? And before you know it, we're in milliseconds of that glance, Trent has just turned, whipped, and Origi's standing waiting on this ball. It's not like, oh, he's done it. He's standing waiting on the ball. I just think it's one of the best moments, football moments I can ever remember. And and the fact that it happens to make a 4-0 against Barcelona when you're 3-0 down from the fourth leg just is the cherry on top. It's It's so much quick thinking. And the finish is unbelievable. People think it's an easy yeah. finish. It's coming across him. He's hitting it with his right foot and he's putting it back, you know, away from him into the top um, left corner as he looks for it. I think it's unbelievable. Before we finish, though, we're 4 nil up. All right. <clears throat> I want to say there's about 13 minutes, 14 minutes left. I, I could be wrong. It's, it's yeah, like 77, I think. It's three years ago now, right? Um. For the record, we watched it in our studios and our feed went down and we were trying to watch it on an Apple MacBook, um, which kept stalling and literally stalled as Ronaldo headed that whole goal in, which was crazy. Um, and then it came back and Amphi was going mad. It was absolutely insane. But there's 13 minutes left. And the only thing I can remember from the 13 minutes is Alisson making a save from Messi. It's a corner from Messi to... Um, Oh, the Croatian guy. Blonde Rakitic. Croatian. Rakitic. So it comes out of, literally Messi plays a corner to Rakitic, who then loops it back over the back of Liverpool's defence for Messi. Looks like he might handle it. Hits a shot near post, Alisson saves, but how long was that 13 minutes for you? Because it felt like about a half an hour for me. Your memory is better than mine because I have one memory after Origi scored before the final whistle, and that is Milner and Wijnaldum at the corner flag with the ball in the very last seconds of the game when the ref blows the whistle up. Because pretty much from the time that Origi scored until the final whistle got blown was mostly just screaming and yelling and crying. And that that was pretty much it. Like it was the emotional release on like I am so happy I watched that alone because I must have just looked an absolute tit but like it was <laughs> it was unbelievable like I don't I'm preaching to the choir I'm sure like every Liverpool fan that got to experience that moment will have had that same release of just absolute exuberance and like it's just that's nirvana basically like it was amazing uh so yeah like I I don't really remember I'm sure it was interminable at, you know, just sitting there looking at the clock is again knowing like if they score, we then have to go and score again. But at that point, it was like fuck it. If they score, we'll just score in the ninetieth minute. Like yeah. it'd be like we, you don't score four and then lose. And maybe you do, but in this case, it wasn't going to happen. Like once that fourth goal went in, it was just I don't know destiny. Like it was 
it couldn't have gone wrong from there. And thankfully it didn't, you know, or else we wouldn't be having this conversation, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's like the, the whole experience itself. So like by the time the game ended and around about the time that the players were in front of the cop singing was when my wife got home from work and she was like, holy shit what happened in here because you know i'm standing <laughs> singing the tv's on full blast oh it was it was just it was just absolutely lovely it was you know eyes are all puffy and red of like i've definitely been crying so uh yeah it was like everything like like you mentioned the romance the fact that the kid that threw trent the ball is just begging goals for fun in our under 18 team oakley yeah. cannoneer like yeah. If there's any more romance that can possibly be squeezed out of that story, it's if that kid can make it at Liverpool. Yeah. Like, and Trent set him up a, at the cup end. Yeah. yeah. Like, what a story is that? Devon looking on from the crowd because his testimonials in a couple of days after that game sort of thing. <laughs> like, and all the characters are back. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was just – and then, like, the scenes afterwards are – like, there's a reason why when, like – having recently done the stadium tour, when you exit the pitch, the scenes from after the Barcelona game are on the wall right when you leave the pitch, you know, towards the visitor's dressing room so that every visiting team just gets a little look at that, of uh, that just pandemonium and jubilation and joy that took place that night. And just, you know, a reminder, just like the sign is, of who we are and who they're playing against. So It doesn't happen anywhere else, does not it? Like... It's just a Liverpool thing. You know, it, it's, they just make up, when you think the story can't get any more bizarre or any more romantic or, um, you know, emotional, they just find another way. They just find another way of doing it to you. You know, yeah. and what? That, that was part of the reason why I made my trip this year because, like, uh, the intergame was a, about two and a half, three, no, three, four weeks after Spurs beat Man City. And Shawnee gave that rousing speech on the <laughs> fat back four. And I was all in on quad belief at that point. And so it was like, I felt that there was something special happening this season. So I have to go this year. Like no matter what it costs, I have to go just so that in in hindsight, when I look back at it, I can be like, I was there. And like I even like, if we'd have won the Champions League, I would have been so happy that the game I went to was the only game we lost in the Champions League. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, like, what's the only game that Liverpool lost in the Champions League in the 21-22 season? Like, well, I always know the answer to that question because I was at the fucking thing. <laughs> but uh, it, it's like what you were saying about the, like, the romance of the team and Barcelona being, to me, the pinnacle of it. Because, you know, I can't really claim to have been a Liverpool fan when Istanbul happened. So the people that were all in, you know, lifelong Liverpool fans. I that can never be eclipsed, but in terms of, you know, games at Anfield, obviously it's there, but it reminds me of something that I don't know if it was on a day tripper show or another podcast from last summer. Somebody got this comment from some Everton fan forum and it was like fucking Liverpool, a club where football miracles happen every week and it was like yep. Yeah, yeah, that was um that was actually that wasn't that wasn't too long ago, I don't think. I think it was definitely think on one of last... our. It was definitely on one of our shows. It was yeah, definitely on one of I, our I shows. I thought so. It was like, and, um, and, and, I think it was something like Everton have all the bad luck in the world, but Liverpool produce football miracles every weekend, you know, and yeah. um, 
from a from a particularly bitter blue, but that's that's how and now are. we have a now we have a sign in the cop that says imagine being us. So yeah. there you go. That's just yeah. perfect for him. Yeah. And he, and you know, just looking at that the end of this season, you know, we end up with two trophies. We don't win the, the, the big two, but it was still phenomenal and and that's just where Liverpool are right now. Um they're a brilliant, brilliant football team and they'll be back again and you know air failures are other people's achievements. Which is, you know, which is the funny thing. Um, but Matt, I've really enjoyed those three moments. Um, they were all different. I was, it was great to speak to you about coming to Anfield for the fourth time. And it's great to hear that you're coming back in August. And if you're in Dublin, I'm sure. Um, if I'm, I'm on holiday in August, but if I'm, if I am here when you arrive, um, I'll make it my business to, um, get a few rounds in. Um, not golf, rounds of, rounds of drink in. And I'm sure a couple of lads, Dublin based, Emmett, and Emmett included, will make the effort to go and see it. Um, the Norwich one, as I said, a lot of people forget it, but, um, it was great to bring it up. And look, whoever gets tired of talking about Liverpool for Barcelona nil. Um, thanks a million. Yeah, that was my pleasure, man. This was really fun. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing, uh, everybody else have a go at it and hear what everybody else's memories are. So I might ban them from talking about Barcelona now. <laughs> and make it more difficult. Shit, I, I really should have gone and took all the low hanging fruit then. Uh, Istanbul, <laughs> yeah. Barcelona, yeah. Allison's header. There we yeah. go. <laughs> oh yes, Allison's header should always be in there. But um, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, that has been in my life. I hope you enjoyed episode one with Matt Gale. And as I said, we're going to try to do between six and ten of these between the summer, just release as an audio download. And as I said before, if you can. Leave us a five-star review on any of the podcast platforms that you listen on. And at the bottom of that review, just put in your favourite Liverpool moment. And we try to keep you tracking it between now and the end of the season. Don't forget to check out Failicon as our charity partner. Um, I say that on every show, whether we're on YouTube or not. Um, check them out. The link is in the description. Um, if you, if you type in, um, if you go to our website, you will find it, lfcdt.com. You will find it there as well. Front page. Um, is the donate page if you want to do that if you can't share it amongst your friends family colleagues or whatever else you can that is it that has been in my life with Matt Gale talk to you soon over and out Sports Social Podcast Network